that will stick with you for years. Yeah. Even though five people said it was great. Yeah. One person doesn't like it. And all of a sudden, like they're gone, right? Yeah. That one person <laughs> is like this dark cloud raining on you. are like, come on, man. Traveled like eight time zones to be here. Are you kidding me? You know, just you got to like remember that fear and, and that negative feedback. Mm-hmm. You got to keep it in check, right? Because we feel we feel it stronger than it deserves to be. Welcome back to the Exploring Podcast. My name is Tejan. Thank you so much for each and every single one of you for making it so far. Now I know you're coming back every time to learn, to execute and to exploit and to clone the thought process and to be able to make a huge difference in your life, work or business. As you know, I'm so fascinated about this and my commitment to you is to find and bring more amazing guests that you love every single time. And this is the time and space that I love so much where I get a chance to sit with the incredible guests and learn along with you. So today's guest is the founder entrepreneur and the host of the incredible podcast talk python to me i love the name as you already know he's one and only michael kennedy hello everyone and thank you so much for having me here it's really great it's an honor to be here well, I'm so glad that you are here, Michael. So I'm going to give you a quick intro. So that is how we start. So get ready to blush around. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Do it. Michael is an amazing mentor, teacher, and a software developer with over 20 years of experience. He has taught over hundreds of week-long training courses to the professional software development teams throughout the world across four continents and has spoken at number of U.S. and international conferences, including NDC, Dev Week, and many other. On top of all of that, he's the founder and host of the Top Python podcast, Talk Python to me. And he's also the founder and host of another successful podcast called Python Bytes. This is phenomenal. He hosts over 280 guests and I have been following his work for quite a long time from my first year in engineering. And he had interviewed many creators in Python community and incredible technical leaders on the planet. I highly recommend checking out Talk Python to Me podcast at talkpython.fm. Besides that, Michael is deeply connected and so much involved with communities where he is a Python Software Foundation fellow and is an author at Manning Publications who has connected us today and a MongoDB master handling millions of requests per month. So I can't wait anymore to start exploring with Michael <laughs> Kennedy. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. I'm super excited to have you on the show. Teja, thank you so much for having me. I love the idea of your podcast about just, you know, taking ownership of your life, your career and what you're passionate about and take it to the next level. And it's it's great. And I'm happy to talk about it with you. Absolutely. Glad that you liked it. And it's awesome to have you here. And I really love the title, by the way, like Talk Python to me. <laughs> and I can't think of the number of times I heard it from many other people and I recommend to others as well. So what made you to title that Talk Python to me? Like someone insisted to talk only in Python? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted I wanted some kind of like talk show I, I didn't want it to be a, we're going to talk just about technology and dive into the technology. I wanted it to feel like a, a fun and interactive conversation. Like, hmm. you know, if you go to a conference and you somehow sneak your way into one of these conversations with two really amazing people that you didn't really deserve to be in or they didn't necessarily invite <laughs> you, but you happen to be in the proximity and you, you're like, just, it's like watching tennis. You're just like, oh my gosh, look at it. This is awesome. Right. Absolutely. I wanted to try to like, yeah, I wanted to try to create that, right? Because I find so often that technology 
by the time it reaches humans in the form of API documentation and libraries, it's been fully sterilized, mm. right? Why it was created, the human behind it, all of the stories and like challenges and what ideas motivated it for are often stripped down as just like, well, here's the three things you did to make it go. And you're like, okay, well, that's great. But what's really interesting is like the person was working at the Large Hadron Collider and they were trying to find the Higgs boson and it was slow. So they wrote this thing that everyone can use, but oh my gosh, it was the Higgs boson, right? And so like, these are the stories I wanted to tell and to bring out into the world. And when I was getting into Python, I just, I didn't see these stories. I, I'm like, first, I'm like, all right, let me go find the podcast. Cause I'm really getting into and committed to this community just as a developer and mm. where are the podcast. And I'm like, there's none, not there's a few and they're okay. Or well, <laughs> there were zero, there had been some and they all just shut down. And I'm like, well, if I want to hear these stories, I guess I'm going to have to, you know, put myself out there and do this. And mm. I, I didn't expect it to be nearly as popular as it was. I figured it would give me a chance to talk to people about amazing stuff. And I would basically be the first guest, which is actually true. As you know, hosting a podcast, it's cool to kind of be the first guest in these conversations, <laughs> but also you get to uh, you know be part of the community in a different way. Absolutely. And but, but in the same way, like that's beautifully said, but when, when someone asks you to speak about the Python, what do you do? Like, so, so let's do this role play. You got into a taxi and that's my taxi, fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and you're next to me and I'm asking you, what do you do? Like, what do you, what do you do? So what would you replay to them? Sorry, I only speak Python like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, usually they, um, usually it starts with something like, oh, I, I'm a podcaster. And they're like, what was that? What do you mean you're a podcaster? Like that, is that a job? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's my job. And they're like, do you work for some, I'm like, no, I don't work for anybody. I just do the podcast. And that's my, they're like, wait a minute, tell me more about this. <laughs> and then they ask me the name. They usually laugh. They're like, oh, that's kind of a fun and playful name. It's kind of weird. But, uh, yeah, I try to basically tell people I, I run talk radio for, mm software developers or something like that is like what I would actually say to them. I mean, that's actually a bit of a simplification because I have my online courses and that's a whole separate type of business, but they're just kind of related. And so I often, I, you know, I'm in the taxi, I'm a podcaster. It's in tech. It's Python. <laughs> that's the thing. And what's crazy is fairly often the tax drive, taxi driver will respond. Oh, that's awesome. I'm learning Python. I'm like, Oh, okay. That's cool. <laughs> I've had that happen, I think, three times that I can think of, like twice at PyCon in uh, Pittsburgh. Is it Pittsburgh? Okay. No, Cleveland. When it was in Cleveland, it, uh, yeah, the, the, the Lyft or Uber driver was like, oh, you guys are here for the Python conference. That's so cool. I'm learning Python. I'm like, okay, that's pretty awesome. So then you should definitely check out like talkpython.fm. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, you should check out the podcast. Some people who don't care about technology, they're just like fascinated that you can just go on the internet. And that can be your job. Yeah. Um, I, th I think it's beautiful, right? That you can, yeah. you can sort of take control of your life and you don't have to worry about gatekeepers. You don't have to ask anyone's permission. You know, you put in some time and energy, spend a couple hundred dollars on microphones and software and you're in business, right? You're, you're now an official podcast, which is, <laughs> it's incredible, right? It's, you have such a, such a privileged position to invite people who otherwise would not give you the time of day yeah. to spend not just a moment talking to you, but an hour, right? It's, it's incredible. Yeah. And now we got a 
really great opportunity where we get a chance to mentor from the number one podcast host in the python like amazing and we got a chance and i'll definitely recommend everyone to take the notes out and make the notes of the bullet points that could definitely help you if you're getting into the technical podcast thank you so much uh, michael and also um, till the episode number 125 somewhere around uh, talk python has a really crazy song and developers right as an intro and i genuinely love it <laughs> could you tell me more about so let me see if i can of- let me see if i can describe this to, to the listeners who probably <laughs> haven't heard this song. This is a song by a, a rapper who goes by Smix, S-M-I-X-X. This is a song by a, a rapper who goes by Smix, S-M-I-X-X. Okay. Great guy, very friendly guy. I believe he's Canadian. And he took... You know how um, rap songs, they have kind of like a baseline beat type of thing. Mm. Well, Steve Ballmer did this incredible, like energized, like let's kick off. I think it was PDC or like whatever Microsoft's current name for their largest conference was for developers Mm. in the early days. (laughs) He just goes out there and he just gives it his all. He's out there, developers, developers. Developers, right? I mean, for like a good 30 seconds, like he's starting to like change color and lose his breath. He's all sweaty. He's like really just going for it. Like, you know, you could tell he's just (laughs) so into it. So Smix took that and turned that into the baseline for the rap song. And then he wrote a really articulate and beautiful uh, song over top of software development Hmm. concepts, right? Um, You know, lines like, why is it that Linus Terval is the only one that gets me? You know, did you get that pun? And just like all these beautiful things, right? About like, yeah. uh, you know, get and refactoring and source control. Just it's beautiful. <laughs> so I thought if I'm going to do a podcast, I don't want something boring. Like do, 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 do. Welcome to the podcast. I'm like, that <laughs> has to be the song. Right. And so I reached out to him. He's like, sure, man, you can use like 15 seconds of that for your opening. Yeah for the opening and, and that would be great. And so it was really, really fabulous. I really love that song. I still do. I think I listened to it last week because SoundCloud recommended it to me or something. Anyway, I, I, I recommend his music. He's got other songs that are good as well that are in the tech space. And there's, if you're really into this, you want to go down the rabbit hole, search for, search, search for Nerdcore, N-E-R-D-C-O-R music. And there's like fantastic bands uh, like dual core and other ones, you know, like Smix and and so on. There's many, there's many bands that have like whole albums like this. It's, it's ridiculous. I had no idea until a few years ago, but then I found his music and it led me to others. So yeah, it's a, such a fun song, but in the end, it, you know, a lot of people don't like rap music. Hmm. I think this one told a really beautiful story about software restful services get towards, <laughs> I mean it was perfect right but a lot of people didn't like it so I thought all right I'm just gonna put like some guitar music at the front after a while because okay. I kind of got tired of dealing with the email of like your podcast is great but I almost died listening to the music I'm like the music is the best part what are you talking about <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's better than the podcast <laughs> but no no not everyone felt that way and so eventually I just kind of chilled it out and it's it's fine 
Yeah. But yeah, I, I love Smith's work. He's, he's a good guy. And I, I recommend you find him on SoundCloud and listen to his music. It's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. You could share me the details. I would I'd love to have these details in the description as well. So that's great. Uh, that's amazing. And also, I know that you are host of another podcast like the Python Bytes. So recent. It was back in January, I guess. So but what made you to do that? Like when you already had a big gain number one podcast in the world <laughs> <laughs> and you made it to yeah. the another one. Like what made you to do that? Yeah. So I've, I founded Python Bytes with Brian Aachen and we've both been, we've been co-hosting that for a long time. Periodically we'll have guests, but often it's just he and I on the show. And the way that you should think about that one is it's like a newsletter for the Python space. So like, here's what's been released. Here's the cool new libraries. Here's what's going on. Hmm. But with, but with analysis, right? Yeah. So two things made me want to create this. One is I have these just beautiful stories about people and technology on Talk Python. Um, you know, I recently interviewed a guy who's using Python to simulate and optimize cars at one of the top race teams in the United States. And just his like love, he's only been doing it for three years, but his love, like getting rid of his old crappy tools and like empowering himself with Python is beautiful. Or, you know, philosophers using Python and computer vision. You're just like, what is going on here? <laughs> and so there's these stories that are just like, awesome. And there's nothing really like there's, there's nothing that's going to expire in the near term about what they've done. Right. It's like the general idea of like, I'm using these basic general tools and these ideas to empower myself with programming and do these cool things. Mm. But what I didn't want to do is have the first five or 10 minutes of the podcast be like, here's things that are only good for like two weeks. Like, Oh, make sure you sign up for this conference. Cause it's going to be in the next week. Yeah. And then somebody finds out a year later and they're like, what is this? Like <laughs> I got to get through this section. This is like, this is no good. And so I feel like these are very different things. One is like evergreen long form stories. That's talk Python. And the other one is like short, quick three, five minutes yeah. news. Mm -hmm. What do you think? So I didn't want to put them together because I felt like they would spoil the yeah the recipe. And so I thought they actually would be really nice separate things. And just by the way, if people are interested about like how you juggle all this stuff, yeah. the, the Python Bytes one takes like an hour a week. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's so easy to like get the ideas because people say, oh, here's stuff you should be aware of. This is really cool. I just got some an email today. I talk about him for a few minutes. Brian talks about his for a few minutes. That's a week. Yeah. Talk Python, on the other hand, is like like a research project every week. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so so when I thought about if I'm going to have a second podcast, it wouldn't be the same thing because that's a lot more work. And then why would I have these two things? But th they're very different, right? And so I thought like, yeah, you, once Talk Python was successful, the other podcasts have come along and sprung up and, you know, some are really good uh, and so on. But everyone was doing the same format. It was, Hey, let's find somebody interesting talk to them for an hour, probably about one or two things. Hmm. And that's a show. Right. And yeah. I'm like, but, but nobody's talking about like the current events, like what's going on. And so I really wanted to focus on trying to yeah. bring that yeah. to the community. Yeah. And if people are looking for a way to say they're really interested in engineering and robots, mm. or they're super interested in glider airplanes, or they're interested in, medicine. It doesn't matter. Like that formula, yeah. that thing is a winner because it is like an hour a week. It's easy to listen to, especially in like COVID times when people can't travel because it's like 20 minutes. It's super short. Absolutely. It's, it's, 
it's a fantastic thing. People could replicate that across many, many areas. This like newsletter with analysis uh, for your industry. Yeah, and also keeping ourselves so much updated and with the latest things coming up because this is 2020, <laughs> where a lot of people are staying at <laughs> home with, with no job, I think. So possibly then we're going creating a new libraries and new tools and new uh, frameworks coming up and keeping ourselves so much updated is so much important. I believe. It is. And that's what the Python Bytes is also doing up. Yeah. Kudos, that's that's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 like a great thing for me to do because I'm forced to continuously learn three to five new things a week, every week. <laughs> I don't have, not deeply, but like I get exposure to it. Right. So I, I, I know all of these different libraries and ways that things can be done and whatnot, because I've probably, you know, spent 15, 20 minutes studying it one of the weeks. Yeah. <laughs> That's addictive. That's actually so addictive. When you got into the situation where you really wanted to learn many things in a single week, that's going to be so addictive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Totally. And taking our ideas forward from thoughts to words and implementation to execution, right? And the results come out to be the number one podcast. That's amazing. And I'm so curious to know, like, what do you think that genuinely made the Talk Python to Me podcast the number one? Well, I looked at, there were other ones before, and I think there's a formula of, of not one thing, but a couple of things that come together that make it mm. worthwhile and so on. One is, I hate to listen to bad audio. And, and the, <laughs> you know, I, I hate it when people just say, like, we're just going to press record. And then whatever comes out, that's literally not even adjusting the volume or doing noise cancellation. Like, not even the most, they're just going to publish that to the internet. And it's like, okay, <laughs> if, if I'm going to dedicate an hour, could you just, you know, like, make the guest and the and the host sound the same level, right? Like, so there was a lot of just like record it and and throw it out. So I thought, all right, well, if I put a, a little bit of effort into cleaning it up and making it sound good, and I had done some course recording, online course type stuff and webcast stuff where I'd already set up basically a, a good way to record things and make them sound good. So I'm like, mm. all right, I can make it sound good. I'm pretty curious. I, I like to research <laughs> things and ask a lot of questions. So maybe, maybe I can interview people. Um, yeah. I think part of it is it's important to make sure that it's a conversation. So many, <laughs> so many people who are interviewers, either on the radio or on other, other podcasts, not necessarily in the Python space, just in general, mm. you can just tell like they have 10 questions and they're going to go through the questions. And it's never the first question that is the, it's not the first answer that is the most interesting thing <laughs> or even necessarily the question, right? It's the, the next question, right? So what, so what I see is my role at, in this world is like, I am the voice of the listeners, right? And if I feel like, oh, the listeners would love to know, <laughs> like, why? Okay, you could tell me how, but why, right? Tell me why. Absolutely. And so I just always, I always have that. I try to like have them on my shoulder in a sense, uh, mm. just going like, hey, ask this question, right? Kind of whispering in my ear mentally, right? Of course, they're not on my shoulders. <laughs> So, so, but that's like the mentality I try to have is like, always be curious and always try to like make it a conversation because like I said at the beginning, that was what I was trying to bring is like that cool conversation, not the, I'm coming back from an international trip and I'm stopped by the, you know, the custom border agent and they want to, they have the four <laughs> questions they're going to ask me. Like, that's not what anybody wants to hear. What you want to hear is like, 
What was that conversation that happened over beer at the conference that you you didn't know you were going to even go there for, and that was the best part of the conference? Like, how is that going to happen? Well, I was going to say you asked what made it made it um, popular. I think that that gave it its start. But what's really easy to do is to get very excited about doing this stuff, and then realize after six weeks you're out of ideas, you don't know anybody else to invite to the show, and you're kind of tired and busy anyway, and it takes like fifteen hours a week. So the other thing is I had started to get sponsors for the show, mm. which was totally unexpected. I never thought that it would be popular enough that anybody would pay me money to do that kind of stuff. But they approached me like, this is, I'm, I'm up for this, right? This is okay. But once you go down that path and you say, I'm, I'm going to take money from these other companies to deliver the message over the next two months, you got to deliver the message over the next two months. <laughs> <laughs> so even if you're tired, it doesn't matter. You've like signed a contract and you said you're doing it. So you're just doing it. Yeah. And I kind of promised myself I would do it for, for two or three months, just no matter what. Right. People make fun of me. I don't care. I'm doing it. <laughs> People don't like it. I don't care. I'm doing it. Like I'm just doing it for three months and then we're going to figure out where we are. Cause it's not something that I had any experience with. Luckily people liked it. The company sponsored it. And eventually I was able to, you know, justify the time. No problem. Hmm. So, and also when you mentioned uh, that the quality is so much important when we have the listeners, they, le- they beat now voice, right? Yeah. Uh, I was so surprised when I see your Calendly URL where I have an option. Do you able to use a high quality mic there? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or would it be able to send it over? That's crazy. You know, you're, you're just yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. And if they say no, now to, to be fair, in the last two months, I've stopped sending out microphones mm. because it's just, it's been such a mess with like supply chains mm. and all that stuff. I should probably start getting back into it. But for a while, I've had some guests come on who were fabulous guests and they had brilliant things to say. <laughs> and I'm like, why, what is going on? Like, is there really no better option? You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> The headphones that came with your phone, what happened to those? Where did those go? Could we just use those? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> and, and to me, it's really important that the guests that come there, the, they're proud of what the result is, right? Mm. I, I would love that, you know, the famous physicists or the biologists or the person who created, you know, uh, such and such amazing library mm. that goes, oh, you should totally listen to this. It, this is my favorite episode I was ever on. It sounds so good. I got to finally tell my story, right? And if they sound like crap, they're not going to feel that way about it, no matter how good what they said was, right? Yeah. So what I had started doing was just going to Amazon and ordering, you know, um, headphones and a mic, not too Mm -hmm. much money, but just have it shipped to whoever. Like, so they would, when they sign up, like it says, do you have a good mic? If not, you know, put in your address and I'll send it to you. And, and so I started doing that. My, you know, in Amazon, you have like a, your addresses. <laughs> Is it your home address or your worker? I've like so many of my addresses. It's completely broken. Uh, it's really wrecked my Amazon account, but it's made the podcast sound better. Oh my God. Like you got to <laughs> list up all the guest address. Like amazing. <laughs> I know. And I don't even want them. I would, I really don't want them in my Amazon account, but I don't, you know, I got to go and like delete them one at a time after they're done. What if they're coming back? I don't want to type it again. I don't know. I, I should just take them out. But um, yeah, so it's it's just that part of the quality. I mean, it's like $40, $50 US, which yeah. if, you have, if you have sponsors paying for the show, 
it's relatively a small amount mm. and it makes a huge difference. Like these little, little things of differentiation. Yeah. They're not necessarily expensive or it's not a lot of time to, you know, have the headset sent to somebody, but at the same time, like those little attentions to detail, that was what was missing. I think in a lot of the podcasts before, like mm. two main things, attention to detail, like across the board in all the various areas uh, of, of research of like, coming up with unique topics and so on, but also in the editing and the recording and the production quality, uh, there's that. And then there's just consistency, right? Like people, people signed up to pay me money for two months. So I'm going to do two more months and then it just keeps going. Great. That's amazing. That's beautifully said. And also that's so fascinating that you've been turning everything, connecting the, and moving forward. And I don't want to dive in like this interview is going to be really phenomenal because I think what you did so beautifully with your work and life, everything from business, a mentorship and having multiple roles every single day. By the way, we are so glad that we're getting a mentorship from the founder and the host of the Python podcast on the wall, right? <laughs> so Michael, I have been listening, <laughs> yeah. listening to you from very long and you made a fabulous amount of progress with purpose, which literally created a lot of impact in and out of the Python communities. So how Thanks. do you feel? I, I know you've this? been listening for a while. <laughs> I, I know you've been listening for a while because it's been a couple of years since Smix and developers, developers, developers was the theme song. <laughs> Absolutely. I really love it. And how do you feel now? I it's do been too. After five, five years after the success story and you're sharing your success story in the podcast. And I'm so glad of that. How do you feel now? <laughs> uh, it's, it's amazing. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right. This is interesting. This is so much interesting. Uh, the number one thing needed to be a good entrepreneur or an idea creator or someone who takes the idea into implementation and execution is someone who is wanting to continuously so solve the inevitable problems that you face. So what are those challenging things that you have faced in your own journey? There's a lot of challenges and things. Mm. For one, I'm here uh, doing professional training for software developers at like high-end tech companies. And I don't have a CS degree, cool. right? Like I didn't go to college for computer science or anything like that. Like I taught that stuff to myself. I went to college to get my math degree and I learned enough programming and took enough prerequisites to like get that done. But basically I learned enough programming to do my math research. And then I just continually taught myself more and more of it over time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that was really, I think it was really valuable for me in the long term where I ended up. You know, if you go to college and they say, these are the 10 things you got to study, here's the 10 courses you take and you're going to do these things and here's the books. It's, it's easy to just receive that information. Yeah. Whereas in technology, you've got to be, you basically have to be your own agent in like a, the sports agent sense, right? You've got to be constantly looking five years out because if you're going to be a doctor and you're a cardiologist, you're like working on the heart the heart's probably not going to change. You could still be a cardiologist. There might be small changes. There'll be new research, new drugs, new techniques and whatever, but still generally the stuff about the heart, right? In technology, it could be, oh, we don't do that language anymore. Or it's not even about web services and it's not about websites and backends. It's all about front-end JavaScript and APIs or Docker or the cloud or, you know, like you name it, right? There's all these things that are just constantly changing and swirling and you have to be able to do two things. One, learn a bunch of them. But two, you have to be able to like see where the current is, the, the current of where people are going to be and figure out, you know, how do you adjust your, your knowledge and your 
your energy to ride where your where the energy is going to be, right? Otherwise, you'll end up doing cobalt, yeah, <laughs> or something <laughs> like that, right? Yeah, right. So you kind of got to constantly doing that. So I feel like so you talk about the challenges. Like I didn't have a CS degree and I wanted to do programming, but I think the fact that I I programming has always been teach yourself one step, take the next step, teach yourself a step, take the next step and, and figure out where the next step is supposed to go. That actually turned out to be super useful over time. Mm. Yeah. And I see a lot of people in the meantime, like when they face the challenges, dude, I just stuck with this overthinking. I just yeah. can't, I just do procrastinating all day when they try out to do something. So how do you push others to overcome their fear to getting start something? That's a good question. And it's, it's challenging for a lot of people. I mean, it's obviously been challenging for me, right? I'm a human. It's hard for everyone. <laughs> I think one of the things I've learned over the last 15 years or so to say is like, there are a lot of perfect paths or perfect actions or perfect set of steps that you could take, whether this is in creating software, like in architecture or design patterns, or it could be in like running a business or founding a business or whatever. There's all these things steps. And if you just try to like, think about what is going to be the perfect thing, you just don't ever start. And what, what you can see most of the time is if you take a step, you can, you get a little more information and you can make a better informed choice at the next step. The next step gives you a little more information. It's like writing code in the way that you say, right, this is going to work. And then we're going to refactor it. Hmm. And then we're going to refactor it. Then maybe we're going to use a new library that we didn't know it exists and we should have used, but now, now we know it exists. And we're going to use it. So we'll refactor to that. Right. And you would never have sat down with a little bit of information and the idea mm -hmm. and said, we're going to end up there, but you're probably in a better place. And I find that in business. Like when I, I had to quit the job that I was at to go full-time on the podcast and launch the course business. Cause I was working for an education online education company. Hmm. So obviously if I had started that other business, they're like, you can't start another business that is like a competitor <laughs> to what you are employed to do during the day. Right. Yeah. So like there was just no way I couldn't quit my job. And I was very nervous. I had two girls who were going to go into college in like two years, I guess a year or two years, something like that. Hmm. And I had a mortgage to pay. It's not like I was a 20 year old guy that could go live in Thailand on the beach mm. for cheap and be a digital nomad. Like I had <laughs> legitimate bills to pay. Right. So I, I couldn't mess it up. Yeah. But then the more I thought about it was I said basically two things. One, what happens if I fail? Like, so you talk about like, you don't, people are trying to procrastinating to think like, should I go do this thing? Should I try this project? Should I, you know, like just overthinking whatever it is they're trying to do. Yeah. So I think you flip it around. You ask like, well, what does it look, what does failure look like? Mm. If I screw this up, what does it look like? So in the software space, I've got some crappy software. I've got to refactor. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to refactor. Like that's not that bad of a thing. In my case, it was like, all right, if I completely fail, this was pre COVID when there was like lots of employment opportunities. Hmm. <laughs> if I fail, <laughs> what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to go get a job as a software developer. Yeah. Well, that's what my job is now. So if failure looks like what I'm doing now, what else could I do beyond that? <laughs> <laughs> and when I looked at it like that, I'm like, well, holy crap. Yeah. If, if what I'm doing now is failure, like, why am I just here? Like, why don't I try to like reach for more? Cause you only get one life. Yeah. Right. And if, if the, the floor is not that far down or, you know, I guess the floor is high, so you're not going to fall that far or whatever the case might be. Yeah. 
you know, give it a shot because if it works, you're just going to be incredibly satisfied and proud of yourself and just happy every day. And if it doesn't, you'll probably be back where you are anyway. Hmm. Absolutely. And in the meantime journey, like when we do these, all the stuff, we hear a lot of voices inside of us and outside as well. Like we get a lot of voices around, maybe we call that a feedback, right? Yeah. But when we ha- look into this feedback and there is a challenge, whether you take the feedback to your mind or whether you take the feedback to your heart, yeah. right? There are numerous kinds of feedbacks and what kind of feedback is actually useful. Like how do you decide yourself uh, whether the feedback is useful or not for you or whether to take it to your mind or whether to take it to your heart? That's a good question. Well, you know, where where is it coming from? Is this like your own voice, your own your own worries? And then you got to think about, you know, as humans, we're, we're biased to feel fear and failure more than we are success, right? If some, if mm. you've come up and like, let's say you've given a talk at a conference and five people come up to you and go, that was really good. Nice job. You're like, ah, oh, thanks. Super. And somebody comes up and goes, I can't believe I just wasted a, an hour of my life and I'm never going to get it back. I'm so frustrated at you. Like that will stick with you for years, <laughs> even though five people said it was great. Yeah. One person doesn't like it. And all of a sudden, yeah. like they're gone, right? Yeah. That one person <laughs> is like this dark cloud raining on you. are like, come on, man. Traveled like eight time zones to be here. Are you kidding me? You know, so just you got to like remember that fear and, and that negative feedback. Hmm. You got to keep it in check, right? Because- yeah. We feel, we feel it stronger than it deserves to be. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, how do you fix that? Like one with negative people, you just kind of got to get a thick skin. It's, I don't really know how else to deal with it, other than just interact with them less. Right. Hmm. But in terms of the internal stuff, you have to put it in the right perspective. Like, like I said, I was very worried to quit my job. It was a well-paying job. It was pretty new. Yeah. And, but when I realized like, well, if I've, fail what I get as to where I was. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm at failure. What's going on here? Like (laughs) I should totally change this around. Right. And all of a sudden it didn't look that scary. It looked like I'm kind of foolish to not give this a shot because I have this opportunity. Right. Instead of I'm really worried and I can't do this. And Mm -hmm. I took the same situation in my mind and just, it took me like a couple of weeks to switch the perspective. And then it was, it was clear what I had to do. Yeah, yeah. And and what are those things like the moment you just uh, quit your job and you jump into podcasting, like there was the jumping off moment, like you were, you were on the cliff yeah. and you moved out of it. <laughs> right. And and how do you made it? It's it's amazing. Like you just can't do that when because we have the families and we need to serve the food on the table. Like what was those situations like? How did you made it and how did you thrive from it? Well, luckily, I was able to do it slowly. Right. Like. Mm. You don't have to, you don't have to just jump and then look behind you and see if you have a parachute or if you have wings. You know what I mean? I get that. I guess I really don't have a parachute. This is going to hurt. That's interesting. Um, So with the podcast, I had started it at the company before the company that I was at Mm. with the understanding that I did not work on it during work hours. Like this was my thing, not a thing I did for the company. Mm-hmm. I'm, I made sure the recordings were at like 6am or at like in the evening or over a lunch break or like somehow where it was not that. And so that was clear, right? So the podcast I had as a foundation and slowly mm-hmm. and slowly it grew and I got more sponsors and whatnot. So I figured with the money from the podcast, I had a long runway mm-hmm. to figure out something 
And then with the reach of the podcast, I could probably get a good job pretty quickly. Yeah. Because I could just say, hey, I, anyone out there <laughs> waiting <laughs> to, you know, I, uh, luckily I've never had to do that. But I, you know, I thought, well, that's, that's part of the fallback. That's part of the parachute, I guess, to like slow the cool. fall potentially or like to save me. And then the other was the courses. And I had, I knew I, I'd, I'd for 10 years done training in various programming languages. And I knew that there was nobody properly taking advantage mm. of Python. There was just like the podcast, there was a bunch of stuff that got thrown on YouTube. There was like a few two or three hour courses here and there, but there was nobody going, I'm going to make a comprehensive yeah. set library of like incredibly highly produced stuff. And I already knew how to do that. So it wasn't like a yeah. question of, could I do that? Cause I'd been doing it for a while. So it's like, can I make this work? So then I launched that part on Kickstarter. Mm. Like I quit my job and I had, I'd been thinking about, okay, well, what I'm going to do. And then I quit the job. I, um, launched on Kickstarter mm. and you know, it, it was funded in 12 hours. Cool. And so I was super nervous for 12 hours and I'm like, all right, we're, we're good. This is going to work. This is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, that's really, really amazing. Like when the moment you had uh, a fallback as well, that is how, like when someone trying out to make it to the self-employment with the wish or the desire that they wanted to achieve, then it's absolutely, there need to be a fallback yeah. because that's where we all actually live in. Right. So as you mentioned, the wings, right. but, and also when you mentioned about a uh, teaching, you had really good courses. I've been through them and they are absolutely from the end to end. You're going to learn a lot from them. Right. But when you see in an online perspective from the listener view, like from the statistic says that like people who learn from online are very less probability that they complete the courses right so how do you keep your students or learners so engaging and let them complete the courses and make it so huge uh, celebration at the end yeah well i think part of the reason that people don't complete online courses is because they are given the opportunity to not complete it <laughs> what i mean by that is if you sign up for a college course yeah there's this, there's this interesting thing that happens at least in the U S colleges, probably many throughout the world. Mm -hmm. There's a period of time where you can sign up for a course. And then if you don't like it, it's not a good fit. You've taken too many courses. You can withdraw from the course. That's like two weeks. Yeah. After that, whatever grade you get counts and your overall grade counts towards if you want to go to graduate school or if you want to get a job or you want to get into like a higher level, like engineering versus a general requirements degree. So there's like, there's a consequence. You're now committed. You're going to finish this course because <laughs> if you're going to get the consequence applied to you, whether you like it or not, but you paid for it and you're getting the grade on your permanent record. Yeah. But with online courses, there's none of that, right? There's just none. And what I think in general, forget online, like online, in person, whatever, a fundamental problem that people seem to get into when they try to teach stuff is they want to teach you all of the little foundational details. They want to build it up from the bottom. We're going to look at the most basic, lowest level thing, and then we're going to build it up and then we're going to build up. So like in programming, that looks like we're going to talk about variables and pointers and data types. And then we're going to talk about uh, functions and then we're going to talk about classes. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to talk about maybe some before there's, we're going to talk about loops mm. and you can't do anything with any of that information. You can't build anything yeah. fun. <laughs> you can't do anything that you like the reason, whatever reason you took that, you can't do that. <laughs> you yeah. want to build a website? Can't do that. Yeah. That's it. Like in six, <laughs> uh, six months later, you're going to be able to. So all of the ways these things get presented is it's like from the lowest level until you get to the very 
end where you get to do the thing you might be of wanted to do in the beginning. And a lot of people, they just, they don't connect the dots. They either don't have the patience or they're like, this is stupid. I'm not getting there. Or this is boring. I thought it would be fun. Mm. All of those things. So my philosophy is make, you know, give people the, the experience of building the thing they wanted to build as soon as possible. Right. So all of my courses are like, Hey, we're going to learn just enough to build a simple little program. Then we're going to a little bit more Then we'll build a game. Then we'll just learn a tiny bit more Then we'll build a website. You know what I mean? Like every step along the way, you're, you're like getting to build something you wanted to build. Not just like, Oh, now we're talking about, you know, loops again. Hmm. Right. And so I think, you know, whether that's online or in person, it's easier to like a B test online. But you know, I think that that is part of, of the reason is that yeah. so many people teach from a, I'm going to need to give you all the facts and all the foundation. So you fully understand the basis of it. And then we can, we can get into the fun stuff and people don't want to experience life that way. They want to get into the fun stuff. And as they get more interested, then they're willing to accept like a dive into the details. Like, Oh, now I really do like this. I'm willing to like go into some of the why pointers work this way or whatever. You know, I, I think that's, yeah, that's a problem that I saw with the whole education space in tech mm. and I was trying to fix. Yeah. And also when we speak about the students learning methodologies, like you just mentioned, there need to be a specific freedom for the person to explore various things. Yeah. Not only the things that actually been there, but you could also able to have that exposure to experience most of the things by exploring many other things. Right. Yeah, so, right. but uh, when we have in this phase, like people are also another view. When we look at it from another view, it's always important for the other person to be so consistent on one thing, right? So rather rather exploring many other things, but it's also so much important that you should be a master of one. Right. Right. On becoming this, the journey of becoming a particular master of a specific technology or a specific subject or a domain or anything. So what do you prefer someone to learn? Like, how do you, how do you prefer them to learn? I mean, I'm talking about the learning style, right? Yeah. So what sort of learning approach that you would recommend to someone, whether it's like, uh, you start up with the books and you end up with the videos and you end up with the projects. So either that like that or what sort of uh, mindset that the person need to build to make and have a really amazing learning strategy? Well, if I could, you know, make it very customized for each person, it would probably be a little bit different then, you know, you got to build one thing that kind of fits all. If, if I could give like one person the advice, hmm. I would say the way that you get the most value about learning these things is try to l leverage your previous experience. So what yeah. I mean by that is it's easy to say, oh, I'm an accountant. I'm kind of getting a little tired of being an accountant. So I'm going to quit that and go learn JavaScript and like write front end software. Mm. Okay. <laughs> You can do that, but it's as if you're going back to zero and your your skill set and your experience that yeah. you bring to the world, right? Like you're you've had like a, a rich life. You have a lot of experience. <laughs> and if you just make that hard break, yeah. then it's as you'll probably be fine, but you're gonna start from zero again, right? Maybe you were a high paid accountant, but now you're a, a junior front end dev, and so you're in that world, mm. right? But if you just change it a little bit and say, I'm kind of tired of being an accountant who sits down behind QuickBooks and Excel and just works on that all day. Let me yeah. figure out how I can learn something to automate that or to create a business based on that or to 
you know, to like, how do I level up what I'm already good at? Because then all of a sudden you're not competing against every boot camp graduate in the world. You're all of a sudden like one of the thousand, 1000 in the entire world, people who are both really good accountants and actually awesome at writing software that makes certain things go in accounting or something like that. Right. So yeah. I would say like the, the journey should be, how do I like whatever step you're trying to take, how do you use your previous experience to give you that, you know, unfair advantage or that distinct advantage mm. rather than say, I'm going to reset my life and go back to zero in like another column. How do I like bring these things together uh, at least as a bridge? Like you don't have to continuously work in accounting, but if you could start there, it would really give you an advantage of you have this special skill. Plus you can learn more programming as you go. Hmm. That's what I'd yeah. recommend. Yeah, and um, we were, I think we were totally rambling around <laughs> about the things that we are connecting <laughs> towards that are so interesting. But getting back to the podcasting, right? We genuinely thrive and become so much better when we have a community of similar minds of people, right? And, and, and the people who are podcasters along with us, right? How relationships and connections with other podcasters could help us. And tell me about uh, your your relations with other podcasters. Sure. Generally good relationships with other podcasters. I've I've met them either by being on their show or I met them at some event and we learned about it. And I have some really good friends who I've met through these, these channels. Right. Hmm. So that's, that's really nice. And it's just, it's just great to be able to talk to somebody about the same, the same things that you have, like so much of the stuff in, in the content creation world, like let's put it more broadly than just podcasters, whether you're a YouTuber or a Twitch streamer or whatever, like mm. what people see is like 10% of what actually is, is happening. Right. It's, <laughs> it's how do you set up the hardware? So you sound good. It's, it's how do you get people to come on? How do you ask interesting questions? Like none of that is part of what they get to see, but is what makes them want to see what they do. Yeah. Right. The, the, the actual produced stuff. So I find that really valuable to meet with those folks. I have a couple of people in the Python space who I like meet with regularly to sort of exchange notes like, Hey, what are you doing? Like this, this is something I'm thinking of trying and I'm not sure if it's a good idea or not. And then also there's actually been some interesting podcast conferences. Like there was a podcast unconference here in Portland, Oregon last year. And I think there were 70 people, 70 podcasters that went to it cool. just in like the little, in the city, which was really cool. Um, you know, temporarily conferences are kind of broken, so that might not be a, <laughs> a short term thing but you know look on meetup.com there's there's probably like people who do youtube stuff there's people who do podcasting stuff there's like really cool meetups and that was really cool to go to i mean there were people just doing all kinds of different stuff cuz all the people i meet they're all kind of like techie whatever right but there are people that were doing like marijuana startups and a podcast or fitness <laughs> and a podcast or like yoga and a podcast or like <laughs> history analysis and a podcast i'm like these people are really really different than me, <laughs> but we're kind of doing it. So, but in some ways we're the same. Right. And so it was really interesting to like share stories from these really different areas. And I, I learned a lot from them. And from the other podcasters being so related with them, uh, looking at it from another perspective, like your relations can be transparent, but they can also be competitive, right. And challenging as well. <laughs> so yeah. is it good to stay competitive with each other or collaborate? What would work most of the times? It's a good question. Right. I've, I think certainly in the podcast space, I think you would want to lend, uh, lean towards 
collaboration, mm. right? For example, um, you know, I'm on your show. If I had you on my show, like there's, there's a real good chance that we could do like a crossover type thing somehow. And that would, you know, that would benefit you and yeah. it would benefit me. Right. I'd get exposure to your audience. You could get exposure to mine potentially. Right. If, if that was a thing we did. Um, I think at least in that world, like you got to see the world through kind of an abundance, uh, abundance mindset. Like, hmm. You might lose a little bit because, oh, they didn't know about that podcast. Now they listen to it. But at the same time, you know, if you're proud of what you're doing, you're putting your energy into it, it's going to come through and, you know, you're going to gain more people through working together than you're going to lose by other people going, oh, I'm out of here. I found something better. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's generally true in business as well, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's a big world. There's a lot of opportunity out there and- you know, if, if you, if you give away one of your secrets and somebody learns about it and they take advantage of it to like make their business better, you're going to have a harder time. But at the same time, you're probably going to learn something amazing that could like completely unlock some problem you've been having. Hmm. Right. And you know, your hundred thousand users versus their hundred thousand users is nothing compared to like 7 billion people in the world. Right. Like the, the <laughs> opportunity is far beyond whatever yeah. it is. Like you're trying to like put your, put your arms around and keep it secret. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you're an F1 racing and you're like, you've got a certain design thing, but like, that's not the world that most people live in. Right. It's, it's a much more um, sort of, you know, trying to find your way through what you're doing and, and, you know, no one's good at everything. So collaboration <laughs> helps close Absolutely. those gaps. Yeah. And who was your first sponsor for TalkPython? I mean, who, who actually believed in the initial phases? So let me look. I actually put up a page because I was very happy for everyone who sponsored. So at the footer of TalkPython.fm, there's a thing that says sponsors. If you click on it, it'll show you yeah. all the sponsors that I've ever had, which is kind of fun. It's... um trying to think who the very first so the very very first one was a place called python gear and they sell like shirts and mugs and stuff but they only sponsored one mm. and then there was there was another one that came along and i'm not seeing them on the list right away um but probably one of the the main first ones that really believed in us was um hired the place that you go um you can like it's like a two-sided marketplace for getting jobs. You can both go there and say, I'm looking for a job or I want a job. And they'll like click you together. Um, those guys sponsored us for like two years. But yeah, like almost all amazing relationships you have with like large companies, they they have seasons. So, <laughs> so we they, they loved working with us. It was really great. Like, they sponsored us for about a year. And then I went to the conference. They had a booth there and we had a booth. And eventually I walked over to their booth. I said, Hey, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Michael. You guys sponsored my show. Thanks. They're like, Oh my God. Almost everybody here that has come up to me has said, we know of you through the talk Python and me podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're like, you're so amazing. And I'm just like, Oh, this is great. Like I'm really helping them and they're helping me. And this is like amazing. And then it's so, I mean, it legitimately felt good, right? Like I was helping them. They were helping mm. me. A year, year and a half later, those people, they decided to change their marketing team. Those people weren't there anymore. They hired new people. The new people didn't know me from any other podcast or any other thing. And they're like, well, 
We'll think about it. <laughs> Actually, we decided we're not going to sponsor podcasts for a while. But, you know, if the, the same people had, um, if they had a voice in that conversation, like, no, hold on. You don't understand. Like everyone in the community came up to us and said, this is why they know who we are. It's super cheap. But like those relationships <laughs> that you can't, like sometimes they just don't carry on. I've seen this like four or five times with companies worked with for like four years. And then, oh, we've decided to hire a marketing agency cool. instead of our people anymore. And it just starts over. Right. And so it, that might mean you start just from zero or it might mean you're just kicked to the curve. Right. So there's just these these really interesting arcs. Like you have these great relationships for a while and then the people that you like and like you, they're kind of gone and then you've just like, okay, great. We got to start from zero and we're probably out of here. This is how it gets. And uh, <laughs> you know, you just can't, you can't let it get you down because like, that's just the way it goes. But it's, it's just an interesting view into the world over like a long term that I've, I've seen play out too many times. Yeah. Yeah. But in also another view, like as this could possibly help the others, well, let's suppose let's get into this another role play, <laughs> not the taxi driver for now, <laughs> but, uh, I'm starting a new podcast in technology. Okay. Uh, let's make it, uh, I'm going to do it with the backend engineering, all about the backend engineering podcasting episodes and interviewing, uh, all the backend engineering legends or <laughs> pros or sure. anyone. So right. the how people who created I... Kubernetes and Ansible and all those <laughs> things, maybe the DevOps stuff or whatever. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so how, how could I make a difference not to make it just another technical podcast? First things format. Mm -hmm. So what, what is out there? And, and what is popular? So there might be things that are out there that are in a format that you might consider, but they're not popular. Don't worry about those. Mm. <laughs> hey, if there's, if there's something that's like, doesn't show up for like the first few pages of a search and, uh, you know, iTunes or, or whatever, don't feel like, oh, well that spot's taken because somebody somewhere has, has put a claim to it. Right. You can just go and do that. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, if there's really, really popular ones, you don't want to, you don't want to try to compete head to head with that. So, you know, imagine that I'm not running Python Bytes, mm. right? That's the newsletter with analysis that's short and timely. Yeah. Right. If I was trying to compete with myself, and I guess in a sense I sort of was, right? I've like tried to like create a, a new space instead of a, a, the same space. I would look at all the shows. I would say, well, there's Talk Python to Me. That's like an interview show. There's Podcast in It. That's like an interview show. Uh, there's The Real Python Podcast these days. That's like an interview show. <laughs> there's Destin Code. That's like an interview show. So these are all interview shows. So I wouldn't try to go and do another interview show. <laughs> Not in mm -hmm. this traditional sense. Be like, all right, well, what else could I do? I could do like a really short format, like 10 minutes. I could do like a 10 minute awesome thing of the week mm. and it's just a high energy, high production quality. because it's only 10 minutes and just try to make it amazing. Cause like who doesn't have 10 minutes to like spit it in, right? You could listen while you're brushing your teeth. If you're <laughs> obsessive about toothbrushing or whatever, right? Like you could fit that in. Yeah. Uh, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't feel the same. Or you could do like the Python bytes thing, like the newsletter type of thing, or you could do, hmm. you could do something else, right? It could always be a panel of like four people, Hmm. Or I don't know, but I would definitely go start with format first. I mean, assuming you already have a topic, right? But there are many different formats and only usually one or two of them are taken. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like if you, if you go into iTunes, uh, rather if you run, I mean, you could do it on iTunes, like the website, but it's really crummy. But if you happen to have a Mac, you can run the podcast thing and then you can go click on top charts. 
And then you can pick your category. Like there's categories like technology or science or news or whatever. Right. And then you can see the top shows. Yeah. You can just, there's like a link, like show me number one, number two, number three. Um, you can flip through here. Now this varies a ton. Like if you've just released a show a day ago and you're in this list, you're going to be much higher. And then if it's like been six days and you're going to release next, you know, the next day, it's like, it starts to shrink down. Like, so right now, Puck Python is 41. It'll, it'll go up a little bit and then it'll go back down. It goes on this wave. The reason I, I say that is what's at the top is not necessarily the hundred percent most popular, right? Like these things kind of go up and down. But what I would do is I would look at the top 50 and go, what are the formats there? Hmm. You know, like, so there's mine, but there's also John Grubner's show, which is like a four hour talk show, which is insane. But there's also developer tea and developer tea is like a 10 minute monologue and I would try to think, okay, well, these are pretty popular, right? They're like the the top podcasts in this area. Let me just like take a survey of how they feel and see what they're doing and what makes me happy and what makes to seem them uh, makes it seem like they're they're standing out. Yeah. And then I would I would try to find one of the formats that is not already clearly taken by something else in the same space, and I would try to run with that. It's a long answer, but that's what I would do. <laughs> that re- that literally helps a lot, I guess. Literally, because it it made me to understand a far better, but I could make a lot of improvements in the existing podcast as well. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> nice. and also on uh, up on top of that, uh, taking specific actions at the exact time would give us far better results, right? Yeah. So, how do you know that exact time to reach out to sponsors? Well, for for sponsors, it's like a continuous journey. Um, and it's kind of tiresome to try to keep doing it every day. So I find like you can do stuff that's, that's weird. That really works. So, uh, here's some advice for people who are looking for sponsors specifically for podcasts or maybe for YouTube channels and stuff like that as well. Look at who is already sponsoring, who's who's already paying money to reach your audience. Mm. And in the podcast space, the easiest way to see this is who is sponsoring podcasts that are like yours and Sometimes it's hard to to get into because they're like too high level, like Squarespace or like the mattress company or whatever. But sometimes they're specific and they're they're good. But really good would be like newsletters. Hmm. So this newsletter is brought to you by Sentry. This newsletter is brought to you by DigitalOcean. <laughs> like oh, hmm. because you know they probably paid about a thousand dollars to be in that newsletter, right? Oh. And you can send them a really simple message. Hey, I saw you sponsors this newsletter Hmm. for about the same amount of money. You can sponsor my show, reach a totally different audience in a deeper way because podcasting is a deeper connection than a newsletter. Yeah. Would you be willing to give it a shot? Right. Because you know, they're already trying to reach those people. They're probably been sponsoring the newsletter for a while and are like starting to not get good results anymore. They're looking for other opportunities. I've had a lot of people come and say, this is awesome. I can't believe you found me and told me about this. I would love to sponsor your show because I've been looking <laughs> for new places, right? Like that's how I got hired in a bunch of other companies. I went to LinkedIn. I saw they were sponsoring the newsletters and other stuff. I went to LinkedIn and I said, head of growth at, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or chief marketing officer at, or founder at. And I sent them that message, like one paragraph, not a huge long story on why okay. like I'm special. And like when I started and when I was a kid, I did this. And then <laughs> this is why I would love to promote your product. Like, no, just like, like two sentences. 
I see you're already sponsoring uh, this newsletter to reach my audience. I would love to help you have another channel and a deeper connection. Let's talk or something, you know, like really short so they can like get the whole message before they turn off. <laughs> and it works surprisingly well. Yeah. And also I see a lot of times in your videos or audios nowhere around the world, like around the internet, I see you speak a lot about MongoDB, right? So how was your relation yeah. with that? Like how did you get connected with MongoDB, the code team and you work with in and out? So it's a long, uh, sometimes bumpy, but nice relationship. I, I love MongoDB. So okay. in, in more general, I love doc, I love document databases. Okay. <laughs> so let me tell you why. So let me, let me, but I just think MongoDB right now is probably one of the best ones. I mean, you have Cosmos DB on Azure, which is really nice, but mm. you've got to be on Azure, right? And if you don't like it, too bad, go away, right? Whereas MongoDB, you can, you have a lot more flexibility in some, <laughs> some of the other ones as well. So there's two things that really drive me crazy about running code, uh, running, um, you know, data driven apps and managing mm. and stuff. One is migrations, right? Yeah. We've made a change to the database yeah. and it's super small. Like we've added this field to like the user history table, mm. but you know what's going to happen if you have SQL Alchemy, Django RM, Entity Framework, whatever, <laughs> talking to that thing and you make that change to the database, your entire application is going to crash and it's just offline. <laughs> <laughs> it's offline until you figure out how to fix it. And so that's not just tricky for like, I want to deploy a new version but I want to have a staging version yeah. and a production version. Now I've got to like evolve one without breaking the other in case they're sharing some part of the data. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's a headache, right? People worry about mm. it. The other one is I, I hate going to websites that are slow. I don't understand why they're <laughs> slow. I mean, there's all these okay. sites that you go there and you're like, this is taking five seconds to load. What could it possibly be doing? Like, I know they probably have a million users, but have they ever heard of an index? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know things like Postgres are fast as well, but uh, with MongoDB, like it's insanely fast. You hear people talking about like, oh, well we use Redis and there's like this intermediate cache. And so we don't hardly ever hit the database unless we're changing data. Then we expire the Redis. You're like, you know what? That sounds complicated. Yeah. What if you just used a database that was fast enough you didn't have to have caching? So, like, for example, if I go over to uh, Talk Python training and I pull it up and I look at the response times, like I, I'm literally pulling this up now, like response time is 29 milliseconds, 30 milliseconds. Oh. Um, let's see, two milliseconds. <laughs> um, That's insane. Millise <laughs> 27 milliseconds, 18 milliseconds. These are like out of the production server with like, gigs of data in the database. Mm. Like I'm, and so the two things I, I like, it's fast enough. You can structure it in like a, you sort of arrange your documents in a way so that the primary thing it needs to do is exactly what it gets back from the database. So it's really fast. You don't need caching. Mm. And because it's a document database, you don't have to run migrations. Usually it will just accept the new stuff. Yeah. You know, like it'll just evolve. Like some of the records might not have that, user ID and the history thing or whatever I've made up before, but it's okay. They'll just be null until it gets there. Right. Yeah. To me, it's just been so super fast that, like I said, that's with no caching, right? That's just straight out of the production database. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to worry about like another layer of caching because caching is always a pain, right? Stuff gets stale, it's out of date. The caching server goes down. So the site's unavailable. Like it's just a pain. Yeah. And, um, 
then just the no migrations thing, right? I really like the, the, you structure your stuff in documents that looks like the way they look in memory and you don't have migration. So to me, I'm a big fan of document databases and I just think Mongo is like one of the better ones that you can run, not in a proprietary one single cloud, right? Like Azure or like Google or something like that. Where did that connection, like you got into the team and the collaborations and you know, how did you got into the touch with them? Yeah, I know you really love it. I know it from your courses, from your videos and audios around the internet. <laughs> so like, how did you got connected to them and how that communication and relation with them? It's, you know, I don't know. I started blog, I, I guess uh, blogging probably must be the way because long ago, I would say 2010, I guess, 2009, 2010, when they were fairly new, I was blogging about them and doing some stuff. And it all started because I have a friend, Dan in San Diego, and I was talking to him and I was like, dude, I hate these migrations. Like why are migrations <laughs> so painful? <laughs> right? Like why does my app have to be down? Like I went to a website the other day. It said, we're down because our site is being upgraded and it was down for a half hour. I'm like, <laughs> what are you guys doing? Right? Like I have like continuous deployment. I push to get it automatically takes one server out of production, upgrades it, drops it back in like half an hour. What is it doing? Right. It's probably doing database migrations, honestly. Right. Mm. And, um, and I, so I was complaining to my friend Dan, like, Dude, this stuff sucks. I, I mean, what else am I going to do, right? Like, this is how it works. He's like, why don't you just use MongoDB? I'm like, wait, what's a MongoDB? He's like, you should check it out. <laughs> and so I'm like, yes, no migrations, fast. I'm good. We're, we're good with this. It, at the early days, it had some weird stuff. If you didn't configure it right, it was bad news. But, you know, if you know how to configure it right, it was, it was really sweet. So anyway, mm. I started blogging about it and like basically saying some of these things on my blog. And they're like, oh, we have this cool like insider program where like, People from the community give us feedback and we bring you out to New York City and spend some time with the team like once a year. You want to be part of that? That's the Mongo Masters thing that you cool. talked about. I don't know if they still, if that's still active, but it was for quite a while. And so that was a really cool group. And that's actually why I really got interested in Python hmm. because I went there as a C-sharp developer doing my .NET stuff, which I loved at the time. But all the people that I met, they were like, that guy is doing something cool. And I love the way he works with technology. <laughs> and I'd be like, all right, what, what are you using? He's like, I'm using Python. And I'm like, okay, that's mm. kind of, okay, weird, but cool. Next guy, what do you like? You know, the other guy that I thought was like, oh, this is cool. I'm glad I met this guy. He's like, oh yeah, I'm doing Python too. I'm like, everyone here who's cool is doing stuff in Python. Let me go <laughs> look into this, right? This is, this is the business. Yeah. And so, yeah. And um, one of those guys actually was uh, the first guest on the podcast, mm. uh, episode one, my friend Nicola. So we met there, but yeah, started blogging. They invited me to the group and I met a bunch of people on the team and stuff. And, and that's how. Cool, cool. That's that's really great. I mean, it was so fun <laughs> listening to your whole yeah. stories and all of that. <laughs> and also, yeah, as you fun. are, as yeah, as you are a teacher and mentor, right? It's actually funny that we are always excited to learn more and more about the things. Even you are an instructor, you do a learning a lot, right? And we oh, forget yeah. about and we forget about learning how to learn, right? So, what do you say about it? Like how someone figure out a learning approach that they could put in an execution so that they could learn learn something new every single day. You know, I think the first most important thing that you got to work on is you just have to put in the time, mm. right? If, if you said, I'm going to spend half of my lunch break, I mean, maybe mm. that matters less now with people going to work, but you know, imagine you go in an office, you have an hour for lunch, 
probably mm. what you do is you go down to the cafeteria, you grab some food, <laughs> yeah. you eat for 20 minutes, and then you're like, well, I got half an hour left, but, but I'm just going back to my desk and working because what else am I going to, I'm not going to go stare at the wall. That's weird. <laughs> right. But what if, you know, what if you said, okay, well, half of my lunch break, I'm always going to be reading a book, taking an online course, trying to like do a prototype in some new technology mm. that I'm trying to learn. Right. If you did that every day, half hour a day for like two years, you'd be a beast yeah. at the end of that. Like you would be so good and you did nothing but just spend your lunch hour differently. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of giving that back to your company, you like kind of say, no, this is my, this is my extra half hour. I'm keeping it for myself. And it's not even that selfish because you're going to be a much better employee <laughs> after the mm -hmm. year or two, right? Cause you've, <laughs> you've learned all this stuff and you can become a mentor inside. So I think that that is much more important than like what technique you actually use. If you just make a plan, just like always make progress. Like at the end of the day, you want to say, okay, did I make progress today? What did I learn today? Hmm. And, and kind of hold yourself accountable because even a, a, a not awesome plan done every single day is going to be better than the perfect thing done periodically. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And also as you are a teacher and also a, a educator, like uh, subconsciously when we try teaching someone, we create a pa pattern on our own way with a unique approach of communicating intuitively others. Yeah. Right. So what is your approach that makes the subject so vivid and clear to others? I think it goes back to teaching myself to code. So I remember every painful step of learning to programming and not in like a, I hate programming or I have this negative view of learning to code, but I remember it was hard to get my C++ code to compile. Like I was legitimately satisfied when I'm like, Oh my God, it compiled. <laughs> it actually compiled. I mean, obviously looking back, like that's the easiest part, right? Cause now it's got bugs in it, <laughs> but, but still like, you know, you go in steps, right? So I remember how awesome it was to just make that first step, but also how challenging it was. And then like to get the concepts and then to, to actually even find the right resources because we didn't have Google and Stack Overflow mm. when I learned to code. That was like, you know, late 90s. Maybe we had Alta Vista. I'm not sure. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was not the same. Let me tell you, you could search for stuff, but it wasn't the same. Yeah. So even finding the resources, but long story short, I guess, you know, I remember how it felt to be a beginner mm. because I didn't go to a college where they said, okay, here's what you're going to do. We're going to lay it out in a nice structured way. It was just me bouncing around like books and examples and stuff until I figured it out. Mm. Right. And there were not a lot of people where I was working doing the same thing I was doing. So they couldn't help me. It's not like I could go ask for help. I was just, just there with the books and like a little bit of searching. Right. And so it's, I think a lot of people forget they forget what it feels like to be a beginner. I mean, I, there's a, a term like the curse of knowledge. You don't remember what it was like before you knew that thing. And it's sort of, sort of what I'm talking about is I remember what it was like. And so anytime I try to like put something together where I'm teaching or even in the podcast, when I'm talking to, to the, maybe a very skilled and advanced guest, I'm, mm. I'm always got that person who was me 20 years ago going, I don't really know what that means, could, but if I don't figure it out, I'm not going to follow this conversation. So I'm always trying to like fill in the gaps and like make sure that the structure, the, the supports are there to make, help people like go up that level of knowledge. I mean, that is a part of, particular point of time where we forget that we are also a part of beginners. Yeah. Right. So 
just just in the same way like uh thinking it from a child perspective from looking it from like a 5 year old kid we try different approaches and thinking in various ways that could actually make us a lot of intuition in our brain that you could never forget so i i really loved it what you just mentioned like yeah thanks yeah i see it almost like compassion for your fellow person like you were there <laughs> <laughs> some point ago and you know like if somebody could have helped you and made that smoother like you would really appreciate that so you know just keep mm. it in mind right Yeah yeah and how about like in today's like not today's okay now uh, in this situation i mean in this phase like you have almost around 280 episodes <laughs> that's insane that's okay but now if you want to invite any guests uh, there is a very high probability that they accept yeah. right just get back to 2015 back in those days like how hard is to get a new guest to your show like how did you try it and approach and what did you recommend to others to do sure i thought it would be really hard to get people to come on the show and it turned out to be really easy. I would say like 9 out of 10 people I invited said yeah and not just not like okay, I guess I'll do it like yes, this is awesome. I'm super excited to be here. Mm. I think partly that was because there were not that many podcasts in the Python space and so there weren't mm. it's not like well they've already been on 5 like <laughs> there were no other ones. Uh so they're not on them either, right? It's like kind of a new opportunity. Uh, so i think that that's a little bit of it but you need to what you need to, so if there's other people who are podcasters or youtubers or something they want to get somebody to come onto their podcast or onto their channel you've got to make it feel not like work hmm. but like it's going to be smooth and easy yeah. so for example there's there's two ways like i i could invite let's say i could i wanted to invite david lord who created flask i wanted to invite him to the podcast he's been on there he's a great guest yeah but let's imagine he hadn't been on there and i could reach out to him and i say hey you want to be on the podcast here it is it's this show it'd be fun to have you hmm. and then all of a sudden he's like well what are we going to talk about like how much work do i have to do to get ready you know is this like do i have time for this hmm. on the other hand if you say this this blog post you just wrote or this book you just wrote is amazing. These are the five things I want to talk to you about. Ooh. All you got to do is show up on Skype for half an hour and it's all lined up. Like I'll take care of the editing. Just you show up, we'll just talk about these things, you know, five minutes each. Cool. Done. And so they're like, I can see myself doing that. That's no problem. Yes. And so you got to make it look like it's all like it's a a, a well produced show it's already polished and there it doesn't feel like i have a new research project to do but like yeah i'm just going to drop in and have a conversation and here's the clearly what they've already done the work so it's going to be a good conversation like you've given me a, a great bunch of stuff to talk about here so you know it's it's easy to be a guest <laughs> on your show absolutely yeah yeah that i had a purpose with you like i really i was following you from very long <laughs> so i got the chance with manning and uh, thank you so much for the mari publication that getting introduced with you and you on the show now today <laughs> it's it's crazy yeah yeah, yeah that's that's nice of me yeah so and uh, two days back ago like not two days is maybe a week ago like we got rolled out the ama form uh, so we have few interesting questions for you uh, why python is good for beginners and pros and why python is good starting point to code both good questions probably a similar answer so let me see if i can blend this into one response here so why is python good for beginners and for pros python let me set the stage with this definition this term that i i'm trying to come up with that python is what i would call a full spectrum languages a full spectrum language There are not many languages like it. 
there's beginner languages like Visual Basic is a great beginner language, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of stops at some point. Like nobody would go build Instagram with Visual Basic, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but you can get really it's incredibly powerful and quick to get like the eighty percent done. But there's that last twenty percent is kind of like yeah, you're not gonna ever make it there ever. <laughs> Unless you yeah. go drop into C++ or something crazy, then you're not really in Visual Basic anymore. On the other hand, there are languages that are good at that top end, like C++. Like it's incredible. Mm. Like like the operating system I'm using has probably got a ton of C++ in it, right? Mm. But it's not a good place to start because it's full of all sorts of hard concepts that you must know right away. Compilers, linkers, headers, functions, pointers, and so on and so on. You might want to do something really simple. It doesn't matter. You get to learn about all these things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you have to like take the whole bite of the computer science yeah. ecosystem to do C++, even for simple things, like slightly less of a big bite, but still a big bite of a lot of ideas. And Python <laughs> is not like that. Like Python is special because you can be incredibly productive with a very partial understanding of the language. Yeah. Right. Like how many languages like do you know? You're like, I know like 20% of it and I've built something that was so good. It got me a promotion like that type of thing. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you could, you could legitimately create something meaningful by just writing, like, you know, pulling in some like pandas and doing some Altair plotting and some analysis and maybe using a little request to pull something off the internet for live data and you could write all of that without even having a function. Like you don't even know what functions are or how to make one. Mm. And you could have this cool dashboard that is like, you know, pretty advanced. Mm. And then at, as you start to see success with it, then you're like, well, I would kind of like to sometimes ask different questions, but of the same data, maybe you need <laughs> a function. Then you could pass data, you could pass arguments and get a response. Oh, what's a function, right? And then you could learn about classes and you could learn about modules and packages. And, but, but you are already like a successful person before mm-hmm. you even are there. Whereas like a lot of languages that are pro languages, you can't do that. You go all in on these ideas yeah. at the start. Right. Right. And so I think that what's interesting for the beginner side is there's a lot of people that come from Python because they saw that they're like, I can write these five lines and I get something amazing. Like maybe I'm a biologist or an economist. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a programmer, but I can do these five things in Python and I get something amazing. Exactly. Yeah. And then you like, uh, you work with it a little, you do a little more, a little more. And then like a year later, you're like, oh my God, I'm a programmer. How did I become a programmer? Right. And you're already <laughs> in Python. And so I think that's where a lot of the growth is coming from is like these people who don't ever see themselves being or becoming programmers, but they get like sucked in by the ease of it. Yeah. And then they just get stuck and stuck in a good way. Cause you're like, well, I don't have to leave. And that's the other end of the story. The full spectrum is you have generators, you have Lambda functions or Lambda expressions. Mm. You have classes, you have like, you have like the full computer science story to build advanced things like Instagram and Pinterest and like sending people into space at SpaceX. Like mm. all of these amazing companies are doing like high end stuff with Python. Yeah. Right. And they're doing like full on computer science, but you don't have to start there, right? You, you can spend five years till you get there yeah. working your way through Python. And there's not a lot of other languages that are like that, that are so welcoming, but they don't have this high end like ceiling. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And I have uh, real stories in my life where I'm seeing few other people who are my friends into mathematics and statistics. They literally, uh, within uh, like in months, they really master Python using all of that. It was so crazy. You know, when they see like the PHP or JavaScript or anything, they, they literally, you know, they get scared of it, right? Yeah. But when they see Python, yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't. It's. It has fewer symbols, I think, as well. So mm. it doesn't scare people because it's not like, well, why is there that pointer and then an ampersand and that curly brace and the semi? Like, <laughs> it. It has the same concepts, but it seems to convey it with fewer. Yeah. Yeah. Symbols, and I yeah. think that helps on the beginner side as well. The expert side, there, the experts are willing to take a, a ton of symbols. Like they do C plus plus and Java and C sharp, and there's a lot of symbols in there. Cool. Uh, yeah, here, here we go. You have another question. This is so interesting. Uh, I'm a beginner getting into full stack development. I generally don't like JavaScript and it's confusing functionality. I personally love Python, but it's slow and not recommended in the industry other than for data science. So what should I go for? Full stack with Python or full stack with JavaScript or anything other else? Sure. Well, let me answer that with two stories. And then mm. the person... Thank you for the question. Can decide. <laughs> I, I think you got to define what slow means. So mm. I've gone to my bank's website and it is painful business. And I'm pretty sure it's written in Java, which is a compiled and quote fast language. And it is like five seconds to get the silly login page to show up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not even important data. Like why is it so slow? On the other hand, like we just talked about a few minutes ago, two milliseconds, 10 milliseconds, 15 milliseconds, like those are yeah. <laughs> top tier performance times out of a production Linux server in a like distributed, you know, got a database server on a separate server, all machine, all that kind of stuff. You know, what, what is, what counts as slow, right? Cause to me that feels pretty fast, right? I did mm -hmm. stuff in C sharp and, and whatnot before, and that's a compiled language as well. And it was getting comparable, but not better numbers. Right. Similar yeah. type of uh, setup. So one, I sort of question a little bit, is it actually slow? Right. My experience is that it's been super fast when used correctly. That said, here's the story mm. part. So have you heard of this place? Um, you go to it. They have videos. You can watch them. It's called YouTube. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's on the Internet. So YouTube gets a million requests per second. Absolutely. Yeah. And is written in Python. Yeah. Uh, the reason YouTube is written in Python is, well, the re reason the thing that Google runs called YouTube written in Python is has an interesting bit of history. YouTube was a startup and Google had this thing called Google Video that was trying to be YouTube, but Google's YouTube, right? Hmm. And YouTube was uh, being created by like 10 to 20 engineers in Python Google Video has had 200 C++ developers, high tier folks from Google, right? Yeah. And continuously, Google Video was falling behind in features because the YouTube one was just adding features quicker and better than they were. Hmm. So ultimately, Google bought YouTube because they couldn't beat it with Google Video, even though they had 10 times as many developers in a much faster language than C++. Yeah. Because there's execution time and then there's, time from idea to feature, hmm. right? If my, my Python runs in 30 minutes and your fancy C++ runs in one minute, hmm. sure, it's 30 times slower. But if I can write my slow-ish Python in a half a day and it takes you a week to write your C++, yeah. 
who's winning. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's the story of YouTube. Uh, yeah. Why YouTube it, it started, you know, is still in, in uh, Python because it was this upstart that was beating up Google because they were using C++ from what I understand. Yeah. yeah. So is it slow or not? I mean, it, it depends, right? Like, are you measuring developer speed? Or execution speed. Yeah, that's that's a good criteria that you need to measure in the first place before you make a, a statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing is there's a lot of ways to speed up Python. Like you can use Cython and compile the slow bit. Hmm. You can write that slow bit in C++. Like there's a lot of other options. You could even use Rust. But, you know, that's that's getting more nuanced. So yeah. we are all we are all the edge. And here is the last question for you, Mike. Uh so we are on the edge. <laughs> so uh, how to level up your career in software development and trends in software development? This is an interesting one. I think I think there's different answers, right? Like one is you can learn a new skill, right? Maybe you're a front-end developer, but you learn the back-end. So now you can start working on the APIs and stuff. And all of a sudden, that's that's where you end up. I was just talking to someone who was a JavaScript person, but then they started learning Python so they could write the the APIs, for example, and that, that could give you a different category of position than if you're just the front end developer, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's certainly, that that's certainly a thing. I think the other one though, I, I think what people really want to think about is like do stuff, do stuff that you're kind of afraid to do. Mm. And, and that could be like, I'm not really sure I'm up for it, but maybe I want to be the one that writes the e-commerce part of the new website, <laughs> you know, or I'm the one, maybe I want to, I want to help figure out how to get us to switch over to Docker and Kubernetes, even though I don't really know that, but I want to learn it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you could, you could take these little steps or they could be bigger steps. Like you could say, I'm going to start speaking at, I'm going to apply to speak at a conference and at a local user group. Right. Yeah. And you're probably not an expert in everything, but you're probably an expert in something enough. And even if you're not a super expert, it could be, let me tell you the journey of my learning to code or something like that. Right. There's, there's all these different levels of stories or like, let me tell you the story of mentorship or of, of something and getting up there and doing public speaking, even in a somewhat small scale, like a meetup yeah, it will yeah. connect you to people that you would not otherwise make connections with, right? Yeah. There, there's people who are like leading the user group or like the person in the back that's always been quiet, but they actually happen yeah. to run a cool team at a cool startup that you want to work at. And now you've met them yeah. because they talked to you after your talk. Like as software developers, we rarely want to get up and do public speaking, <laughs> but <Yeah>. that's... <laughs> both that's both a challenge and an advantage right it's a challenge because it's hard for you to do it personally mm. but if you can cross over that it's like um like a moat right not many people want to cross over that divide or they're not going to cross over that divide and so it puts you in a, a much rarer category than those who don't and yeah. that even if you had the same skill set but you were good at public speaking i think that that would make you stand out it could be YouTube. It could be blogging. I mean, it could like other forms of communication, but I think hmm. like hmm. that general idea would be very valuable. 
yeah all it's matters is like when you could if you want to level up the things that the way all we try we need to serve others by our work so maybe it's about what you're doing your blogging and podcasting is like is nothing but you are actually helping a lot of other million people out there yeah which actually helps you to carry upgrade yourself and you know you level up your career so that's an amazing that's beautifully said and also as you just mentioned about um doing what you are afraid of is so interesting like uh, why it is so key point for you and tell me more about that I think that so much of what we get out of life and what we make out of life has to do with mindset. Hmm. You know, you can see situations completely differently um, and it can, you have the same facts, you have the same information, the same situation, but you see it so differently and it will affect what you decide to pursue. It'll affect like your self-confidence about it. Um, it'll affect so many things. Like I told you about the job, like I was afraid to quit my job because I, I needed the money for various things. But then yeah. I, you know, I, I got to the point where I saw that as like, that's where I'm going to end up if I fail. So I'm already there <laughs> now. What? Like it completely changed my mind to like, it's ridiculous to not try from, Oh my God, I can't do this. Right. Like I was, <laughs> it seems silly. Like I couldn't even wait to like quit my job. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I think there's a lot more, like more general stuff. It doesn't have to be those big things, right? It could be, you know, how do you see like self-growth? How do you see learning? How do you see um, like new opportunities? Like, hey, we're switching front-end frameworks. And it could be like, oh, crap, I like the one we had. Or like, there's an amazing opportunity. I've always wanted to learn something new, right? I heard of like Vue or Angular or whatever it is you're not using that you're going to, right? Just yeah. there's, there's a lot of um, ways of seeing the world that I think make a huge difference in the decisions you make. And like individually, they're probably small, but you know, they add up day after day after day and they mean a lot. Yeah, 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 totally. And that's, that's amazing. Like the concepts and the key things that you have given to the audience and to me personally, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and thank you I so too, much, Tasha. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it really means a lot. And I don't think, uh, I didn't, I never found you talking all of this stuff in any other place in the internet. I was finding a lot about it, but eventually I'm so glad that you had shared all of that with me and I could able to make spread it over across all others who are also fascinated about this journey. So thank you so much, Michael. I really, really mean it. And thank you so much. I can really feel your energy. And also I think the finish, that energy can also transfer to the others as well. So it really means it. So if you would love to share anything to the listeners now, please feel free to. Get out there and take action, right? You can think Absolutely. about whatever it is you want to do, <laughs> but uh, it, a, action beats all of that, right? Uh, mm, yeah. It, it'll give you the nef- what you need to know to make the next step and it'll like, you'll get that momentum and, and just get going. That's, that's what I would tell people that and maybe listen to the talk by the enemy. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. I'm pretty sure this episode will definitely help someone getting into technology podcasting. <laughs> and I truly, truly appreciate your work and all your efforts towards technology and community. And we have one of your course giveaway. So I'll add all the details in the description. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. I truly, truly. Mm-hmm. It was great to talk to you and thanks so much. Uh, Keep going on the show. It's great.